about a year ago, I was sitting at a Starbucks, and it was a good day. I had a comfy chair. I had my coffee right next to me. I was on my laptop when he sat down next to me. He had a carefree way about him. He had some tattoos up and down his arms. He was wearing a baseball cap, and we started to talk. He asked me what I was doing, and I said I was working on a sermon. I'm a seminary student studying to be a pastor. Then he told me his story about how he was an atheist and how he's just working long enough so that him and his girlfriend can move in together and move to Hawaii where they can take life as it comes. So there we were, two very different people living their lives in two very different ways. I was doing what I could to try and serve God and he was living his life learning how to serve himself. Which leads to the question I want you to think about today. Do you ever wish you could live like an unbeliever? Do you ever think it would be easier or more convenient or at least more fun if you could live like an unbeliever? Maybe you're fine being a Christian during the week, but when the weekend comes around, do you want to live the way that you want to? Do you ever wish you could live like an unbeliever? Maybe you're fine with it, but then when the offering basket comes around, you kind of wish you could be an unbeliever. There are times where I think this applies to all of us. There are times where I know where I've wanted to live like an unbeliever. There are times where I'm sure you did too, where you ask yourself, do I have to be that nice Christian all the time? Do I need to be that generous Christian all the time? When does that school's out for the summer feeling come for the Christian? And I'm sure you've had this temptation because this temptation is by no means new. 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul wrote to his church in Philippi, warning them about this temptation. There were many people in his church, they were falling away because they wanted to live like an unbeliever. So to combat this threat, Paul reminded them about their future and about their destination. That's what we're going to do today as well. We're going to learn about what our future really is. So at my last job that I had, uh, we took this one test called Strength Finders. Any of you heard of it before? No heads, okay. But, uh, so it's this one business test where you go online and you take this like 150 question questionnaire and based on your answers, it spits out your top five strengths and then based on your strengths, it'll find out where you can best serve in your business, church, whatever it is. And my number one strength that I got back said that I was futuristic. All right, you know, it made sense to me, I guess. I like to plan out my life. It's like to look ahead in the future. And I think whether you're wired like I am or not, I think each person here gets some comfort about knowing what's going to happen in the future, knowing what direction your life is going to go in. So, futuristic. It's, but it did say that this book wrote that the downside of this is say you're in some type of meeting and you want to talk about the one-year plan, the three-year plan, the five-year plan down the road. There's going to be somebody else always right next to you going, yeah, but we need to talk about today. We need to worry about next Sunday. So, point being... When you know the destination of the future, does that make all of your problems of today disappear? No. I think the same is true for a Christian. When we know our future destination, do all of our temptations and problems go away? No. But my point is, I think they get a lot smaller. All of our struggles and things get out, seem to be a lot smaller when we know where we're heading in life and what is going to happen in our future as a Christian. 
So that's what we're going to do today. The Apostle Paul reminded his people about their destination, where they're going to go. And that's what we're going to do today as well. I want you to know your destination. I want you to know where you're going. And we're going to split the text up into two parts. Part one, what to stay away from. And part two, where you're going. Keep it easy. What to stay away from, what type of lifestyles, beliefs, behaviors to stay away from. So make sure you're heading in the right direction and your destination. And then we're going to learn where we're going. Simple as that. And the book that we're looking at today is called Philippians. I've heard this book described before as the depression survival guide, meaning that if you're feeling down, if you're feeling depressed, you can go to Philippians and you can find so many reasons why we have to rejoice in the Lord. But in this section of scripture, the Apostle Paul, he's not happy. He's crying. And it's not tears of joy, it's tears of concern. For many people in his church were leaving, were abandoning the faith because they wanted to live like an unbeliever. Now let's look to see what he has to say about this. He says, Join together in following my examples, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as often as I told you before, and now I tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. So Paul, he lays out their options. There's really only two. He says, all right, you can follow me, how I live, what I believe in, my lifestyle, or you can follow these other guys, the enemies of the cross of Christ. Those are the two options that you have. And then he goes on to describe these enemies a little bit more. He says, their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. So he's talking about these enemies of the cross of Christ and he really describes them in four ways. And the first, what, first phrase that he uses to describe them, he says that their God is their stomach. Now Paul He's not warning them about trans fats or love handles or how many calories are in a Tim Hortons donut. That's not what he's talking about. When he's talking about your God as your stomach, it's talking about that sinful appetite that you have, that desire to self-indulge and to just fill up your stomach with whatever feels good to you. Now, in some of Paul's other letters, he talks about a group of people called Judaizers, and they were a big threat to the church. They said, if you want to get, make yourself right with God, you have to follow so many rules. If you follow this rule, you follow this rule, and then you'll be right with God. But that's a heresy. That's wrong because God gives us grace. So that's one group of people he had to deal with. But these guys are on the complete opposite spectrum. It's not about following rules. It's about living for the moment. Whatever feels good, do it. Whatever you want to do to give you pleasure, seek it out. That's what you're supposed to do. They were gluttonous, self-indulgent types of people. Have you ever seen a PG-13 movie about naughty little frat boys in college? I'm sure we all have, you know, they, they're the type of guys that live for the weekend. They do drunken keg stands and give high fives. They try and sleep with as many women as they can and then they give chest bumps to celebrate. I think that's kind of an extreme example of letting your God be your stomach. But then he goes on to describe it this way. He says next that their glory is in their shame. Meaning that, yes, they might have fun on Saturday night, but how do you think they feel Sunday morning when they have that hangover? Whether you're a believer or not, I feel like you can look at that lifestyle, that party boy type of self-indulgent lifestyle, and you can say, that's just not how we're meant to live. That's just not good. It's wasteful. It's unhealthy. It's selfish. That is not a good behavior. And God says, 
that it's shameful. Their glory is in their shame. But then he puts out another big difference. He says their mind is only on earthly things. Now this is a huge point. The way that believers and unbelievers think is gonna be different. Because the unbelievers, they only think about the right here, right now. They're not gonna be talking about their future destination. They're not gonna be talking about eternal life. They're gonna think about right here, right now. And this is different than the Christian, the Christian who has inner joy, inner peace, inner happiness. Now, don't get me wrong, though. So say we went out into the street and we took out two different people, and one was a Christian and one was an unbeliever. If you talk to these two people, is the Christian guaranteed to be happier and the unbeliever guaranteed to be walking around sad and doesn't know what to do? Obviously, no. I'm sure you've run into Christians before who aren't happy all the time, and I'm sure you've run into unbelievers who are happy all the time. And the same is true. For me, there are times where I'm happy and fun to be around, and then there's times when I'm not. So it's not talking about guaranteed that if you have this inner peace that you're going to be walking around smiling the whole time. But here's the big difference. When Christians have the idea of inner hope, it's different because unbelievers base their joy on circumstances, meaning the right here, right now. And as long as the things are good now, maybe you have a good job, maybe you have a family, maybe you have lots of money, that can make you happy. But what happens when devastation comes? The unbeliever has to be devastated. They can't be happy about this. As opposed to the Christian, what happens if a family member dies, a disease comes, or you lose your job? Something like that. We can still maintain, we can still survive because we know that inner joy of Jesus Christ about what's going to happen in the future. The unbelievers, they don't have the same type of mindset. But then, it says their final difference, that their destination is destruction. Whether they enjoyed their self-indulgent lifestyle or not, whether they had a fun time on Friday night or not, what's gonna happen to people who don't believe in Jesus, one day they will be destroyed. My guess is, if you've been in the church for any amount of time before, Nothing what I've said so far is that new shocking information. You get this. You know, believers, they go to heaven, and unbelievers, they go to hell. And on the way that we get there, we are going to live a little differently until we reach that destination. But even though we know this, even though that believers have this great inheritance coming and unbelievers don't, do you ever wish you could live like an unbeliever? Are there times in your life where you feel like you could just feel burdened by the rules that we have as a Christian and you wish you could just throw them aside. There are times where you think that God is mean for wanting you to obey some of his rules and you don't think that he actually loves you. Are there times where you wish that you could just brush the Ten Commandments underneath the rug? Maybe it's times when you're alone with your boyfriend or girlfriend. Maybe it's when you're filling out your taxes. Maybe it's when you're at your job. I know that there are times that we wish we could live like an unbeliever but their destination is destruction. But by the grace of God, that is not where we are heading. The Apostle Paul goes on then to tell the Christians about where we are going. This is what he says. He says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there. In this verse here, we find the answer to a problem of what to do when we are stressed, what to do when we are feeling tempted to live like an unbeliever. 
Whenever we feel tempted, whenever we feel stressed about this, all you need to do is pull out your heavenly passport. Last time I left the country, present time excluded, I took a trip to Israel. It was a great trip, but anytime you're a foreigner in a country, there are some things that could stress you out. And I know what you're thinking, ah, oh, poor Vicar got to go on a vacation. But hear me out. Whenever you're a foreigner in a country, you're not used to the area, and that could stress you out, or the traffic was nuts, the food was different, the people spoke in a different language, and it wasn't my home. But the reason why this didn't stress me out was because in my pocket, I had my passport. I wasn't going to live there forever. My trip was only going to last a week, and my passport guaranteed one day that I would be home. For the Christians in Philippi, their citizenship was good. Philippi was a city where many Roman soldiers, when they would retire, they would move to Philippi because it was basically a miniature Rome, a real home away from home. And with their citizenship, they could get tax breaks, they could buy land, and they had many political advantages. But for the Christians living in that city, Philippi wasn't their home. Their real home was in heaven. And this viewpoint changes everything. And to prove this point to you today about how our viewpoint changes when we recognize our heavenly citizenship, I have a job opportunity for you. Now I want you to imagine Imagine, you know, some nice businessman came in here and he tells you that they just opened up a new factory in Mississauga for uh, the most boring job in the world. Uh, it's a uh, toothpaste factory. And your job for eight hours a day is you take a tube of toothpaste and you take the top and you screw it on. And then you take the tube of toothpaste and you take the top and you screw it on. And you do that for eight hours a day. And he says that you're going to get a salary of $10,000 for the whole year. Sounds pretty awful, right? You know, you're basically getting minimum wage, less than minimum wage, to do the most boring job in the, work, in the world. How would you feel about going to that job? You would hate it. You would hate being at the job. But not only that, you'd get home, and you'd complain about toothpaste, you'd talk about how terrible a job that you have, you'd tell your family, you'd tell your friends about how you have the worst job in the world. Let me just change one factor for you. What if... This businessman said, instead of $10,000, you would make $10 million at the end of the year. That would change everything, right? You would be whistling on your way to work. You'd be skipping to get in the doors. You'd be telling everyone about how so excited you are to come to work because you know that at the end of the year, you are going to get $10 million. Brothers and sisters in Christ, our eternal home, our inheritance is better than $10 million and our heavenly passport guarantees this. And that's not all. We hear that we're going to get a heavenly, a heavenly home one day, but then Paul goes on to tell us about how much better this deal is. He says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. So not only do we get to go to heaven, but one day when Jesus comes back, we are going to get new bodies. They're going to be glorious and perfect, just like his. So think about that. All the aches and pains that you might have right now will one day be completely gone, and we will have a new body as well. But when you think about this, 
so far we hear that we're going to get a new citizenship, that it's going to be in heaven one day, and that we're also going to get a new and glorious body. But why? Well, let me tell you. Why are we going to get a new heavenly home? Because when Jesus was in heaven, he left it and came to this world where he was treated like an exile. He was rejected by man and eventually rejected by his Father in heaven so that one day we could be brought home. But why are we going to get this new and glorious body? Let me tell you. Because when Jesus came to this world, his body was literally torn to pieces as he was nailed onto the cross so that we could be made whole. But so then why? What about this heavenly citizenship? Why are we getting that? It's because that Jesus didn't stay dead. On Easter Sunday, he rose again from the dead, all glorious, all victorious over sin, death, and the devil. And he tells us that one day, he is going to come back to take us to be with him in heaven. And this viewpoint changes everything. Knowing this, the Apostle Paul then says, final encouragement, he says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. He tells us to stand firm, knowing this, knowing where we're going, and knowing all the great things that are going to happen to us in our future. So, do you ever wish you could live like an unbeliever? I know there are times in our life where we're going to have these temptations, but knowing our future destination will help it out a lot. Does it mean that when we get our, know our heavenly destination that all of our problems of today are going to go away, our struggles and our temptations? No. But knowing where we're going in the future makes them a whole lot more manageable, makes them feel a whole lot smaller. Knowing what Jesus has done for us about how he won that heavenly citizenship for us, knowing that one day we will be with him, changes everything. It changes how we view our lives now, and it changes how we will see our future as well. So, brothers and sisters in Christ, stand firm and know your destination. Know that Jesus is going to come back one day to take us to be with him. Amen.